This is Continuum Drag, a weekly podcast revisiting television sci-fi, fantasy, and everything in between. This week, Earth 2, episodes 20 and 21. We've been on this planet for 130 days, but somehow that seems like nothing compared to the 81 we've been stuck in this dome. For some of us, the cabin fever was so bad we'd take any excuse to get away, even another scouting Welcome to Continuum Drag, the podcast that can see cyberspace. <laughs> I'm Luke, here with my co-host Jordan. What's real, Jordan? I have a question for you. How much do you know about plant reproductive biology? I know all of it, man. That's why I went to, I got my PhD in. Isn't it funny when people ask stuff like that in TV shows, where obviously it's like a rhetorical question, but it's like, why even bother asking it? No one knows anything. Well, someone answered it, so it wasn't that rhetorical. I suppose. Yale didn't know it was rhetorical. He's just like, I know it all. She was doing it to like show off. She's like, how much do you know about it? Because I know a lot. And he's like, oh, actually, I know it as well. I actually have Wikipedia in my brain because I'm a cyborg. <laughs> you're like, oh, you're both insufferable characters. <laughs> oh, dear. So this is it, Jordan. Oh, thank God. The final episode. <laughs> I've went through a, you know, as varied as I can experience, but a uh, myriad of emotions on how I felt about leaving this show. Because I was very excited to finish it, but then, as with a lot of these things, after we've spent hours and hours with them, it's sort of a bittersweet thing to say goodbye to the show. Yeah, I mean, it's about, it's, we're coming in at the right timing. I'm not surprised this is the last two episodes. I'm not surprised more weren't made. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I have, we'll have some final thoughts, I'm sure, at the end, but uh, it feels like all we needed. Yeah. Well, before we get into the episodes, I was actually digging around to see how much I could figure out if there's like like any active fan base left. I know we've discussed a little bit over the course of the series that like in general it seems like if you find some recent comments people remember it fondly and like perhaps ask for reboots and comments of things but like there really isn't much of like an active fan base left. Um, Just some erotic fiction. Just some erotic fiction still kicking around. But no I found like there was a couple fan sites but they're mostly places that have been, like, left online from, like, the Internet 1.0. Like, the two that I found that seem to still exist as, like, dedicated fan sites, uh, they were last updated in 1999 and the year 2000. I bet they just look amazingly archaic. Yeah, they look ancient. They look ancient. And, like, half the links don't function anymore. And, like, stuff that was built around it has long been shut down. Um, but what was kind of the most interesting part I kind of found while I was digging around in there is that there was but one fan con that happened for this show back in 1996, New Pacifica Con. <laughs> where did it take place? In Albuquerque, New Mexico. Of course, why not? Well, that's where it was shot, apparently. So they did a tour of all the vast expanses they wandered <laughs> They're around. They're like, here's that valley. Which one? Oh, the one they spent half the show in complaining about. Yeah, and it's sort of post-cancellation, so it's obviously like very, these people who are like very excited about the show and wish it would come back. And I was really surprised is uh, at the actual con, which there's old like photos of, which are just great. Like it's like, you know, just in some hotel convention center on mm-hmm. hotel chairs. It's surprisingly full, actually. Like a lot of people came out for it. But even then, they managed to get Morgan to come out, Dr. Heller came out, Danzinger came out, Yuli and True were there, and the Grendlers were there. <laughs> they got the actual Grendlers? You know what? 
it's hard to get the both of them together. They had some infighting through the show. <laughs> <laughs> it was funny to see the two actors who played the Grandlers. It never occurred to me it would just be the two same actors every time, but it was. Oh, that's good. But it was funny. It was like they all came out. They all chatted and like talked about their experience on Earth 2. Uh, it was just interesting to see. I'm like, wow, they managed to get one con off the ground for this. Not bad. But Jordan, the biggest news from uh, from Pacific Con 1996, Jordan, okay, was that someone at the con had managed to get their hands on a in-house promo reel that someone made hmm. for season two of Earth Two. Oh, so it was the the, the studio had had made that. A studio had made a promo reel for a second season of Earth 2 before it was canceled. Mm. And um, I'm going to save it for the end, but somebody's uploaded the entire promo reel to YouTube. So there's a promo reel for what was going to happen if Earth 2 had continued in season two. And I'll tell you all about it at, after we get through these two episodes, because like a lot of obviously spoilers potentially. Wow. But uh, it's incredible. Well, that's great. I'm excited to see what, uh, what direction they were going to go, because my feeling was everyone should just die. <laughs> i doubt that's the direction they were going in all right shall we uh shall we get into the summaries uh for episode 20 yeah flower child let's do it scouting in all directions danzinger bess and morgan come upon colorful flower buds which bust open throwing a golden powder in their faces the flower pollen carries a sickness that causes them to emit a golden vapor how long did it take you to think i wish this was like day of the triffids <laughs> you know what? I never considered that. That would have been a great episode. There should have been a Day of the Triffids on Earth 2. I actually thought that's the direction they were going to go in. I thought it was going to be something like that. And I was like, oh, what a cool idea. And I'm not saying this was a bad episode because I think it was it was okay. But that would have been more fun if the plants were going around killing everyone. Honestly, it. I mean, why didn't they get there? Like, this is supposed to be a new planet with all kinds of crazy life. Walking man-eating plants was a great idea. Yeah, it's a longer discussion I'm sure we'll have as we go through this, but... It is one of those turns that happened a lot of times in these episodes where it seems like there's a really fun thing they can do, but the writers just don't want to do it. They, w- they want to go with this other sort of convoluted idea every single time. And it's like, all right, good to them. I mean, I'm not sure Triffids ever crossed their mind, which is unfortunate because that would have been a great. That, you're right. It would have been great. <laughs> but anyways, we're on the planet. It's been 130 days. I think Morgan, who's narrating, says it's 81 days that they've been living in this ice valley. Although I'll make the point again. They're always looking out being like, oh, I don't think we can get out with all these cars. And it's like, these are barely high hills. Like, <laughs> I don't know if the geography lends itself to it is the problem that they keep trying to have in world. But, you know, whatever. Yep. They're, that's it, though. They're, it's day 81 of winter and they're looking, still looking for a way out of this mountain pass. Um, but it is starting to look like spring's coming because they find it like these trees are budding. Flowers are starting to poke out of the ground. Mm-hmm. And uh, on this one scouting trip, this is it, Jordan. They finally spot a pass out of the mountains that the trans rovers can drive on, I guess. <laughs> the all-terrain vehicles that were specifically designed and made for this planet and seemingly move supplies and people can't get around the slightest inclines but regardless they've found a way out it's taken them this long it's finally over jordan they're finally going to get out of these mountains winter is coming to an end for them at least and while they're doing this scout though bess and danzinger come across these little alien flowers sprouting and you know what why don't you stop and smell these alien flowers you just found you know what though isn't that in character for this group of people though they are the worst scientist and they're, I would say they're always inquisitive, but they take zero precautions in anything they do. Well, and this is a debate that literally happens late in this episode between Alonzo and Dr. Heller about like, um, 
how they exist on this planet and like like where there's a like a line here where they're the two of them are having a light argument about what is going on here like how can we survive here like we're so reckless like this is dr heller's point like we, we're too reckless we move for we have to be more careful and i think alonzo says he's just like hey we can't know how to be safe here it's all alien to us so we should just bungle forward <laughs> aimlessly every single time like he makes that argument yeah. that this is the correct way to live is just like aimlessly wandering forward hoping for the best and it truly is the mandate of this crew is just mm-hmm. like you know what just see what happens yeah so true to form they go to smell these flowers and immediately the flowers shoot up what i guess is a sort of pollen directly into their face Yes, uh, a comical amount of pollen smashes into their face. (laughs) It is a comical amount, I'd agree. It's like getting hit by a cream pie, but made of pollen. (laughs) Oh, and it's a good point because they end up with, like, the pollen powder on their face. And when they're walking by, I think it's Danziger is walking by. And Morgan, who's very hungry at this point, is like, did you guys just eat a puff pastry? Because he sees the powder, and that's his go-to, is he's worried they're eating pastries off in secret. I laughed so hard. That's why I think that might be a clip we have to pull because I laughed so hard. I was like, did you eat a puff pastry? Like, I'm just like, what? It's very specific. Did you have some mini donuts? Where'd you have some mini donuts? (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, this pollen is a weird infection um, and it causes the uh, carriers who, I guess, get get pollinated to uh, respond similarly to uh, a pregnancy or something. They like the hormones in their brain release and they have like a weird protectiveness over over the pollen that's now in their bodies yeah the pollen it's they kind of bend over backwards a little bit to try to explain it but i guess the basic idea is that it alters the chemistry within yourself as a as it's sort of a virus that makes the host do what the virus needs basically yeah and the episode is primarily focused on Bess, so she's really the one who, like, exhibits these things, which I thought was a huge missed opportunity. I really wanted to see, like, a fake pregnant uh, dancing running around, but he's pretty sidelined. He's mostly in the background being like, I don't want to be pregnant with a flower, babe. I mean, that's a thing that it's a quick scene, but basically Julia Heller, the doctor, tells Bess that she thinks she's pregnant because of the... I guess the raised hormones or whatever it is, but quickly they're like, Oh, you're not pregnant. And there's this like scene of like, should we have a baby? Maybe we won't have a baby and all this. Like it doesn't really matter at all. But then I was really hoping that it was going to be that Danziger's told he's also pregnant and he has to deal with those issues as well. And he's like, how am I pregnant? Well, and they have, they both, they're both having stomach pains too. So I actually thought it was going to be like a literal pregnancy, but it turns out it is just like the thing in your lungs and bloodstream just wants you to do something for it. Uh, I did like though a little a little peek about uh, birth control in the future. We oh, that's right. What did they call it? It was um, a suppressant. I think they just called it like a suppressant. But it's right. something that because uh, when Bess finds out she's pregnant, she looks at Morgan and says, "Have haven't you been taking your suppressants?" And Morgan's like, "I have. I have been taking them." Julie, did you fuck up my suppressants? <laughs> yeah, which to be fair is a good question because if there was a, an accidental pregnancy, I would probably blame Julia. I mean, it would have been Julia's fault. <laughs> But uh, uh, I guess we can confirm then that uh, Bess and Morgan are having sex. 100%. True, true, <laughs> it's 100% true. Confirmed. <laughs> it's nice. nice I, was, I hadn't thought about it up to now, but I'm like, oh, yeah, I guess you wouldn't want anyone in this crew to get pregnant because uh, not a great place to give birth to a baby. No, for several reasons. Anyway, um, this infection by this pollen, it also um, causes more in Bess than really Danzinger, but causes her to really want to walk north. Um, mm-hmm. 
this is apparently where the pollen wants to send these people. The whatever the end of its life cycle is is up north. And we get to see uh, Bess casually walk into a newly erected laser fence. That's very funny. They cut to Bainsey. He's like, finally got that laser fence set up after 81 days. Yeah, I know. And I was like, the, the it's a funny thing because they need it for a plot point because basically she's going to, uh, it almost looks like she's sleepwalking and she's going to walk into it and they get injured. But they have to announce that it just got set up now because you know the writers are like, uh, this would have solved a lot of problems in several episodes if we had just had a laser fence around the uh around the camp but anyways just got fixed she gets injured and everyone kind of runs to her but then somehow miraculously the injury has healed itself almost yeah the the pollen gives her wolverine power so she instantly (laughs) heals herself did only her knee touch the fence that was weird right yeah she like grazed it with her like leg or something it was very funny too because you talked about how like it's taken all this time to get the like laser fence set up which is just a plot point but if i were baines and like i'd been setting up this fence for 81 days and i finally got it like up and running and then they came back and said oh by the way we're leaving tomorrow we found an exit i would have been so mad <laughs> that's true i never thought about that it's like i've been doing this for 81 days and we're le- i gotta take it down now i have a feeling though there was a little bit of uh a little bit of his own procrastination time you know like you know you order a pizza it only takes like two minutes to make a pizza but they're like it'll be 45 minutes because you know the guy's got to sit around and have a cigarette for 40 minutes <laughs> i think it was a little bit of that this is what you imagine when you're watching your pizza tracker it's just like someone smoking and then two minutes it takes them to make a pizza no because i've actually seen that happen regardless anyway <laughs> um anyway uh don't get a big pizza aside is what i'm saying <laughs> They uh, they head off to gather some of this pollen to test, and like as always, Julia runs tests on the pollen. Can't make heads or tails of it. The consistencies of the show, intended or otherwise, are great, and and one of them is that Julia will run a test. She's the authority, but she's also not a very good doctor, which is in the show. And like as a viewer, you think that, but they also mention in the show that she's sort of like a trainee doctor, but she never seems to know what she's doing, and it's great every time. It's just like why even bring the test to her. Yeah, the only thing they seem to figure out is the pollen they have in a jar. When Bess and Danzinger go and, like, rub the jar, uh, the pollen gets all reactive and turns into, like, a swirling golden mass that swirls around. And then the the pollen inside their mouths also starts to swirl out of their mouths around their faces. Doesn't she say, though, at one point, she's like, it resembles human blood. And I was like, does it, though? I think, it. yeah, it was just like, I think it was just like she can't differentiate between it and human blood. I was like, but one's like a powder gas it doesn't look like blood but anyways, i don't know it, I, i'm uh, who am i to correct julia it is confusing uh, julia is like well we need to come up with a plan to get rid of this pollen so she like comes up with what she calls an inferior variant which is some sort of drug she puts into them so that like it'll kill off the pollen that's in their bloodstream didn't you think at this point that maybe this was going to be a pro-choice pro-life argument episode i actually thought that might be the direction they're going in well, that's kind of what happens is like she starts giving them a drug to get out of their bloodstream and then she just shoves a vacuum into Danzinger's mouth to suck it out of his lungs. But I'm, what I'm saying is this is a little plot point, but it's not the like moral of this episode. No, um, but what, I guess what I was going with is just like when it's Bess's turn to get treated, like apparently it's giving her pregnancy feelings. She likes it. She's feeling healthy. It heals her. And she's just like, you know what? I want to keep it. I don't want to lose this thing. And then there's a big debate amongst the entire camp being like, should they force her to take the the uh, pollen out of them? Yeah. And Danzinger sort of stands up for her and says, or not Danzinger, sorry. Her husband, Morgan, stands up for her and says, like, hey, you guys, like, if my wife doesn't want you to take this thing out of her, 
it's not appropriate for you to force it out of her. Yeah, like, there is this, like, subtle debate there. Yeah, they don't really lead into it. I'm not saying they should. It was one of those things where I thought, oh, maybe this is what, this is actually the show making a plot out of a, uh, some sort of morality thing like, like Star Trek would do. But it's not really what this show is about. No, ultimately it doesn't do that. You're right. Because, like, Morgan does stand up for her, like, bodily autonomy rights briefly. But, like, it kind of goes away pretty quickly. Um, because everyone at the camp's just like, all right, we'll let her keep it. Although I did like in this meeting they're having where they're debating what to do about, uh, her and the pollen, uh, that Bane's character is really like, Hey man, I, we got to get it out of her, man. Don't you remember that time? Al- uh, we thought Alonzo or Danzinger was possessed by a Tarian demon. We can't have that again. Yeah. It doesn't Alonzo make a jab at him for like being a wuss. He's like, what are you going to do? Like go hide in your container again. I thought that was the best moment Alonzo's had. It was a real callback to that episode where he's just like, what if he's a, it's a demon? He's like, well, aren't, maybe you should just go hide like you did last time, you coward. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, basically now everyone in camp's kind of like mad at Beth. Everyone just treats Beth really badly now. <laughs> yeah, for no reason, really. She hasn't, to be fair, it just point to this episode. She hasn't done anything other than, for all intents and purposes, sleepwalk once. That's all she's done. Yeah. And she injures her hand, at which point her husband Morgan tries to, like, help her. Like, he was like, let me see that injured hand. And when she he touches it, it hurts her. And the pollen, like, lashes out of her mouth like a little whip and, like, scratches his cornea. Yeah, and so he wears an eye patch for most of the episode, which I was hoping was going to be now what his character looked like going forward. Like, he just loses his eye. Yeah, but this, like, this one time that this thing has whipped out and hurt his cornea, basically, now the group's like, that's it. You're not allowed to keep this pollen anymore. They have Morgan sedate her and they put her down basically to be like, we're t- forcing we're forcing this pollen out of you, whether you like it or not. Um, yeah. And then the bodily autonomy potential moral goes out the window. Yeah, I think she, Julia does say, though, that I think at this point she's finding that their organs are shutting down. I think she might say, like, the liver will shut down if she doesn't get it out. So, like, they make some sort of, like, vague, we're not really doing anything wrong by taking away her rights. Yeah, there's this, this weird side thing where they're like, they're like, maybe it's going to hurt her. But, you know, we keep, we're we not 100% sure. Anyway, the whole point of this is she's tied down to a bed and she basically is constantly begging Morgan. Not constantly. It's only one scene. But she's begging Morgan to just let her walk north. She's like, if I walk north, this will all solve itself. Like, we just need to do what this thing wants and it'll all be over. Mm-hmm. And it's very funny. Like, she's begging Morgan this and Morgan really wants to believe her. Like, Morgan actually, this is perhaps the best he's ever come off in an episode. I would agree. Truly wants to support his wife for all his, uh, cartoon elements to his personalities. This was the closest to a three dimensional human. We've seen him and really his, his only, the only thing he wants is his wife to be happy and healthy. That's his really seems to be his driving force. And in this episode, it really gets magnified. Yeah. And he, he wants to trust her, but he's, you know, the group's really leaning on him to force her, his wife to do something. And so he's, He's conflicted, and that night she breaks out of her bed and runs off and heads north on her own, and they're all worried. They're like, a cold snap is coming. We have to get her back. <laughs> but he takes off on foot and is uh, followed in a vehicle by Alonzo and Dr. Heller. I had a question about this. There's several scenes now where Morgan is chasing her. It seems like at, on the high ground and the dune buggy thing. Uh, what's it called again? A rail. The rail is on the low ground. But it didn't really make sense to me because they weren't really covering extra ground. It was one of those things where I was like, why do they keep just driving beside each other? It was it was the equivalent of like he's training for a boxing match and you're driving the car behind him while he jogs. Yeah, it, I mean, it doesn't quite logistically make sense. Like he leaves on foot to follow Bess 
and then they very shortly leave in the cart to follow him, but they can never catch up to him for some reason. I'm just like, well, you would have, after hours of walking, caught up to him. It's not that difficult. <laughs> Anyways, it doesn't really matter. The point is, they're in the car, he's running. Well, and more to your point, too, by the time they meet up, like, they only finally meet up when they come to Bess's tracks, meeting up with a second set of tracks, and they're just not sure which tracks are hers now, so they split up again, so one can follow one set of tracks and the other can follow another set of tracks. And, of course, Dan or uh, Alonzo and Dr. Heller end up following tracks that lead to, like, a dead Grendler whose mouth is covered in pollen, and they're like, oh, no, the pollen walked it to death. Yeah. <laughs> on, on a side note, Grendlers have, I think, had it the worst of any species on this planet, haven't they? They've been killing Grendlers left, right, and center. They've been tortured They've been shot. They've been eaten. The one was imploded. Yeah, it's just bad. It's poor species. I mean, it does feel like anytime they need something to suffer, it's the Grendlers can get it. Yeah. The Kobo's just walking around shooting its fingernails at people. No one's put powder dust and walking it to death. Uh, The worst that's happened is one time it missed its home. (laughs) It's true. It got back, though. It It got back. Uh, anyway, now they're worried that this pollen's going to force her to, you know, walk to death like some sort of parasite in her brain. Morgan does manage to catch up with Bess and get her to put her jacket and boots on. And she's like, he's like radioing back to the group. like, I found Bess. What should I do? And they're like, stall her until we can like sedate her and hold her down and force that pollen out of her again. But of course, this is where Morgan is like part of this arc for him or not arc, but like his story is like, I'm going to choose to trust my wife who's telling me. She knows what she's doing. If we just keep going north, it'll all be fine. So he heads off with her north, and we know that they're going to try to find out what's going on. Finally, Danzinger kind of comes back into this plot. Like, they kind of abandon him, like, back at camping. Like, oh, he's just being treated. Don't worry about him. What he's doing this whole time is he's kind of laying in bed, occasionally complaining. That's all he's doing. Yeah. He's like, I don't want to go north. Just take this thing out of me. But he, at a camp, has a weird dream via the pollen where he sees a high mesa on a cliffside and I guess a huge smoking pit that he says is breathing and it's littered in dead bodies. And he's just like, oh, no, they're headed to some sort of pit. My note was Danziger's dream looks like a Metallica music video. <laughs> and uh, Yale, of course, uh, as we mentioned earlier, because he knows about the reproductive cycles of flowers. He's just like, <laughs> yeah. What if the pollen's like like pollen on Earth and it attracts insects so that it brings the pollen to other plants to reproduce? But what if on Earth, too, what's on the other end of this pollen's want is something that's not a pretty flower? And I guess this is like the ominous, like, uh-oh, what are they going to find? Oh, hey, I just thought of something right now, though, Luke. The Grendler, poor Grendler, as they said, walked itself to death. So it seemingly walked a very long distance and died of dehydration or uh, some sort of exertion. You know what it should have done? It should have taken one of those uh, cobweb portals. And it got there really fast and wouldn't have walked itself to death. Well, maybe maybe the closest subway station was still too far. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Fair enough. Uh, anyway, sort of like we go back. Bess is still walking with Morgan. She finally like she finally reaches her exhaustion point and like collapses and like falls down a hill. And Morgan's like holding her in his arms. And he notices the cuts on her face now aren't healing. So he uh, he has actually what I think was the s- sweetest and maybe best character moment he's ever had is like he's holding his wife. She's too injured to move anymore, and they're nowhere near where he needs to take her to, and he doesn't know where she's trying to go to, and he's kind of committed to this plan. So he, like, leans down and basically kisses her and sucks the pollen out of her into himself in order to basically finish his journey and be able to, like, carry mm-hmm. her to the pit she needs to get to, which 
truly like you know these episodes have been great but i was just like this might be the best character moment anyone's ever had on this show i agree i was like oh there's actual emotion and truth in this moment that i was just like wow and morgan gets it what a what a wild what a wild turn and we should make the note now i think morgan has been you know if purposely by the show the most annoying character but weirdly because of that he's been the only character that's even had the slightest amount of growth in this show even if it gets reset at the beginning because uh, sorry gets reset at the end of every episode but he has weirdly arguably almost had the most screen time and has had the most plots revolve around him for such a odd sort of like villainous character yeah and this thing is his villainy was mostly just like a cowardice or be like just like trying to be pragmatic on this planet in a way that the other characters just aren't. And I wonder if, it, like, as they went further and further, and, you know, I've become more forgiving of that character. I agree. I wonder if Me he's too. just the most recognizable as a human being. Like, he seems like he's really flawed, but at least I can recognize a human being in him, whereas everyone else is just, like, too much of a 2D cutout. Yeah. Anyway, they finally reach this mesa with this smoking chasm that they've been walking toward. <laughs> There's some skeletons around it, so it does look a little uh, ominous. <laughs> yeah, I was curious about the skeletons. Is it that they walked so far and then died, or is it that they got that far, the pollen came out of them, and then they died of exhaustion? Was that what we were supposed to think? I took it to mean they died just before they got to the pit they're right. <laughs> Basically, what it is is they've climbed up a volcano, is what we've seen. More or less, yeah. And... The two of them, Bess is sort of awake now again, I guess, and they're both exhausted. They're both, like, crawling on their hands and knees toward this mm-hmm. chasm that's, like, just smoking out of the ground. And at this point, Dr. Heller and Alonzo finally catch up with them in the rail, and Dr. Heller's like, we've got to stop them from throwing themselves into that pit. Yeah. And uh, what I liked was, like, Alonzo's like, nah, I got a better idea. Why don't we tie a rope around their legs and see what happens when they fall in? You know, you made fun of his uh, strategy for life before, but it's sure going to work out this time. I mean, when he's right, he, he, <laughs> the entire argument they're having about whether they should be more careful or less careful, it really falls onto his side at the end where it's like, he's right. We should just blunder forward always because that's the right thing to do. Yeah. And I think I've mentioned it before in this show. I don't think one time a character has uh, posited a theory that wasn't true. It's not like there was three versions of something. They're always like, what if the guy is a ghost that needs money? They're like, it is a ghost that needs money. And you're like, all right. Nailed it. Nailed it. <laughs> but yeah, we basically get to watch Morgan and Bess fall into this chasm, dangling by their legs. Mm-hmm. The pollen at this point finally exits their body down into the pit, and they're, uh, they're pulled back up out of this smoking chasm. And as they watch, the earth starts to quake. The chasm erupts like at first like an orange red explosion comes out of it that then becomes a green explosion Mm -hmm. and then they're like hey you notice the air is getting warm and moist now you guys i think we just created springtime yeah that was the dumbest thing ever again i actually don't mind this episode and we'll talk about it later as to the reasons but the ending of we just created spring is so stupid and also uh, so what is the point the point is this was a good thing. This had to happen. If one of them didn't accidentally have the powder spray in their face and then walk north and then put it into this volcano, they would be in winter forever. Is that what they're saying? This is what they're saying is there's no there's somehow there's no seasonal cycle. Earth 2's orbit and uh, rotation have nothing to do with the seasons. It only works if some creature gets pollen in its face, walks to this pit and falls in is the only way spring restarts, which is 
Like the craziest understanding of the cycle of seasons I've ever thought of in my life. Which also, it, it does mean the way how worried they've been about winter and that they don't know how long the season is and all that. Uh, you can end winter in like 30 seconds if you want. Yeah, exactly. But all their anxiety was true. They should have been really worried because the chance of them stumbling upon this was very, very unlikely. Yeah, winter would have gone forever. But I mean, the thing is too, like wouldn't some other animal, like this planet's been going on for, you know, millennia. Just some animal falls in that pit every year. It's fine. It all works out. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, yeah, they were just in a bad year where no one had come across these two particular plants. That one grinder just couldn't make the good mix right. <laughs> no, you know it was. It should have been that one that they uh, they shot and butchered last time. That was going to be the one that was going to do it. <laughs> this was when I when this was revealed as like how this planet works. I was like laughing so hard. I'm like, move over, love hate spiders. We've got a new fucking like super out there idea. <laughs> Yeah, and you know the funny thing is, the show doesn't lean into it enough. It's like, if you guys want to have the most insane theory, just go with it. Make the planet that weird, though. The problem, though, is they want the planet to be as close to Earth as possible, except there's these really bizarre little things that happen. And I just think, go for it or don't, you know? Yeah, this place either needs to be, like, way crazier than Earth or, like, I don't know. I mean, it is way crazier than Earth from what we say. Well, I mean, there's electricity, water, and acid caves, and time-traveling webs, and all this. But everything else is exactly the same. <laughs> but, I mean, that's the end of the second last episode, is spring is finally here, and they can finally get back on the road to New Pacifica. I'm just like, crazy. The last episode's going to be back on the road again. They can finally get and drive on the road over the hills that haven't had snow on them for many episodes. I can't decide what is happening what decisions had to happen for this to happen? I'm I'm going between two ideas here. One is the production schedule meant that they were going to be shooting in winter for a per- certain period of time mm-hmm. in New Mexico. And it was just going to be logistically annoying to have to like be moving around a lot. So they're like, let's just write a bunch of episodes where they're in one place so we can set up a, you know, a headquarters and everyone doesn't have to be cold and like blah, blah, blah. Or B, the studio comes back to them halfway through the season and says, more standalone episodes, less continuity. And they're like, all right, well, let's get them stuck in winter and we'll just do a bunch of standalone episodes that way for the rest of the season. Like, I can't decide what the decision was to make them be stuck in winter for so long. I think it's probably a little bit of both, but I would lean more to your latter idea. I think the show in the second half someone said you guys need to do more standalone episodes and they were worried that if they keep progressing the characters keep traveling it won't make sense why they haven't reached new pacifico or why the mythology hasn't continued so i think they're like let's just stop them here yeah i mean this is so funny because the way it ends the way winter ends is so arbitrary and it's so it's just like right at the end of the season it's like oh winter's over now they're back on the road again i'm just like like, there was no reason it could have ended six episodes before this or couldn't have ended in 25 episodes after this. Like, it was just so arbitrary. And again, Winter wasn't even really used other than an obstacle that they couldn't travel. It wasn't like any of the episodes were specifically yeah. Winter-based. It was just why they were having all these standalone episodes. So anyways, that brings us into episode 21, All About Eve. Yes, uh, here's the IMDb summary for All About Eve. My mind is filled with visions of my own death, and I'm scared. Scared that Ben and Elizabeth were right, that I will be the first of our kind to prove that we cannot live here. Facing an unknown illness where they progressively deteriorate, 
the colonists find the remains of a Venus-class council research ship containing several cold sleep crypts. The two survivors are distressed. They are not back on Earth. And this was courtesy of R.W. Zim, DPA. One more time. The show starts with a recap, and it lets you know right off the bat that we're going back to the serialization that the show has more or less dropped for the last several episodes. And I wasn't sure how I felt about it, because in some ways I kind of like the standalone episodes, but it did feel like they had set up so many dangling threads of this mythology that I was like, oh, we got to start tying some of those together. And man, do they ever try to do that in this episode? I mean, yeah, they're, they're back to the core plot. I mean, it's the season finale. Like, it makes sense you're going to bring back a lot of the mm-hmm. things you've seen up till now and try to, like, push the show forward. Weren't you wishing, though, that uh, Tim Curry came back? <laughs> I mean, we haven't talked about it. We haven't done an episode where we haven't talked about Tim Curry. So, yes, of yeah. course, I wanted him back. <laughs> Sorry, but I cut you off. What were you going to say? One thing I noticed, Jordan, which kind of blew my mind more than the uh, recap. Uh, this episode starts off with a title card that says All About Eve. Oh, did it? Yeah, it starts off the episode, it's just like, quote, in quotes, it's just like, the title of this episode is All About Eve. And this is the first time they've ever done that. I was like, what is that? Why, why is this the last episode? You're like, now we have title cards. And I was worried when I saw the title. I thought Eve was that lady who always goes, la, 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 la. And I thought, oh, I have to see her again. But it's not. Her name's not Eve, is it? It's Mary. It's Mary. <laughs> I don't know why I thought it was Eve. I was just very worried I'd have to see her again. I don't if like it. was her. called There's Something About Mary, then you should worry. Mm, fair enough. Anyway, uh, the episode starts off at a funeral for a character named Eben Sin, who we've never met before. And I was just like, why are we killing characters we've never seen before? We've got so many characters we could kill. Yeah, they clearly start developing and building these other side characters. Why not kill one of them? Kill a mushroom cut. Just the character I've never seen before is having a funeral. I was like, ah, just give me someone I care about now. Yeah. Uh, apparently six days ago, everyone in the Eden Project started to get sick, and now they're dying mysteriously. Yeah, and w- what are the symptoms? They kind of get dizzy and then lose motor control. That's basically what we see? Yeah, we yeah, that's basically what we're told is happening. Everyone just kind of is a little lethargic around camp. And um, to cope, Morgan goes off and fires up his old VR drumming program, which I haven't seen in so long. It's the third time he's done it in this show. And he he's out there. He's drumming. He's drumming in VR on some uh, on some great mesa in New Mexico. When a mysterious sax player joins the VR, a man named Franklin Bennett, and he's like, "Hey, love your love your choice in music, but if you want to save your friends, why don't you listen to what I have to say?" <laughs> yeah, he's. It becomes very clear quite quickly that he is not part of Morgan's program because Morgan doesn't know who he is, and he's sort of in this world, sort of breaking the fourth wall of this VR simulation. And he's a great sax player. <laughs> That's true. Sure. It's only going to cost him a small favor in return to save the entire Eden Project. It's worth it. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Morgan, basically, I guess the favor he has to do to save the people is he programs their trans rover basically to stop moving at a certain set of coordinates during tomorrow's big drive down the road day. And it's very funny. Like, they're driving. The trans rover stops. And they're like, why did it stop so suddenly? I don't know. And they're like. Hey, look over there. It's a giant spaceship that's crashed. I know. <laughs> They've done this a few times in the show where they're like, there's nothing around. And then a character looks to the left. And they're like, wait a minute. There is something there. Because it's so large and it's it sticks out at such an angle from all the scenery around it. There's no way you wouldn't have seen that for miles before. It's like it's all uh, flat terrain. Yeah, the favor would have made more sense if, he, if they had Morgan change the direction or, like, the heading they were on or something, not mm-hmm. to break down at this one spot, and then they'd look up and be like, hey, look at that giant spaceship we wouldn't have known. We would have just driven right past it. But regardless, he has fiddled with controls so they will get to the ship so that 
stuff can happen. But uh, I think who is it that goes in? It's I think Alonzo and Danziger go in. Oh, yeah, because Alonzo's like they get to the ship and they realize it's a generations old ship. Yeah, it's 100 years old. It's a Venus class ship. Not, no Venus class ship has been in service forever. But Alonzo knows how to fly it because, again, he's over 100 years old. And he remembers how to open it, too, because he's he has all the memories from he's got all those memories. He's that's why he's so helpful and useful. Yeah, he, he remembers all that old tech. This ship, they realize, is at least 30 years older than any known arrival on Earth 2 from Earth 1. How many different expeditions have landed on this planet that they don't know about? It's crazy, right? There is a moment, and it's my favorite moment, right at the end of this episode, where they're going to get back on the road and they're leaving the ship behind. And Morgan's just like, hey, there's a lot of like really valuable parts on that ship. Maybe we should like take some of them. And they're like, why? They're not useful to us on this planet. What are we going to do with them? He's like, we can trade them or something. And they're like, with who? And Morgan's like, I don't know. We just keep bumping into people. <laughs> I, like, I think we'll probably bump into someone who'll use it. And I was just like, Morgan's starting to break the fourth wall. Morgan's starting to become self-aware that what kind of show he's on, that he's like making this suggestion. And yeah. when people push back, he's like, don't tell me we won't bump into people. We bump into people all of the time. They've already bumped into two different species, the Kobo and the Grendler, which the Grendlers are big into trading. They've bumped into the cave people. They've bumped into the universal soldier type people. They've bumped into um, radical uh, biologists, radical biologists who also are ghosts. They also bumped into the group of penal uh, colonists who, what's his face, killed all of. And, oh, and the Tarians. I forgot about the Tarians, too. And as they've been told, and the mythology is going to come back on this show, not the mythology, but the serialization of there's a sort of governmental organization that is somehow controlling things through spies, which Julia was one. They're also maybe on the planet, maybe hovering above the planet. Those are all the people that are all there that they didn't know about. <laughs> so Morgan's right. They should take it. They, who yeah. knows who they'll bump into next? Not to mention that acid rain and uh, electricity water and all the other stuff. <laughs> Anyway, um, they get into this ship. They're looking around. It still has power. They find there's a bunch of crew who are on the ship that are still in their, quote, cold sleep crypts. Is that what they called them before? No, I don't think so. But I loved it. I was like, cold sleep crypt is the best way of describing one of these chambers. Like, it's so dark. It's like, oh, let's just put you in your crypt. Hopefully you wake up. Yeah, but people have been cryogenically frozen since seemingly for several generations. And one of them, of course, has the name tag plate on his cryocrypt uh, of Franklin Bennett. So Morgan's found the man he's looking for. Mm -hmm. They go to the ship's logs and they kind of figure out this is a council advanced research team that was sent here to scout the planet like generations ago in advance of a colonization. Um, and they... They're not sure if they should wake the people up because they're like, hey, they've been in sleep a long time. There may be like sicknesses as a result of that. Uh, but of course, Morgan sneaks off from camp as he always does. And he just starts like cycling up these old uh, these old cryopods so he can get bended out and talk to him about how to save people. What is the moral decision that you have when you uh, you come across some people that have been frozen? Are you supposed to unfreeze them? Or are you supposed to leave them? What's the better thing to do? It's a good question. I mean, I think their thought was, let's leave them for now and come back for them when we can properly care for them, which probably makes the most sense, I'd say. I guess I like my inclination would be to unfreeze them, but I guess they're also starving. So why would you add extra people to that? Extra mouths, especially when they're they're safely frozen for now. And who knows, like they might be dead, but their psychic energy might still be working, you know? Yeah, you don't want to get another person possessed by psychic energy. <laughs> That's a callback for the the real fans. Anyway, uh, Morgan cycles up their things. Uh, some of the pods start failing. And basically the only people who survive unfreezing are Bennett, who we know was 
the person he's trying to get out. And then I guess his girlfriend, Elizabeth Anson, also survives the uh, survives the unthawing. And I'm going to make a note on IMDb. Franklin is credited as Dr. Franklin Bennett, and she's credited as Elizabeth Anson. But in the show, they're both doctors. Yeah, I mean, if anything, she's certainly the doctor. They make that very clear. <laughs> yeah, but I just think it's I, something I think we've seen before. For some reason, the man is credited as a doctor, but the woman isn't. Well, it's just like that old joke, Jordan. They're both hit in a car accident, so how can the doctor? That's right. That's how all these shows were written. (laughs) But anyways, Morgan fiddles around and he does wake him up. He wakes him up. These two are surprised they're still on planet G8889, which I forgot that was the name of. (laughs) What they had, I guess, thought they were going to uh, leave the planet in this ship and go back to Earth, which I don't know if that really makes sense, but... And then I guess, what, the, it just took off slightly and landed back on the ground with them frozen? I guess so. I mean, the, I guess the idea was their, their scouting mission to Earth 2 had been finished. They're headed back to these stations to report back. And But Luke, how long did it take them, to, or like the Earth 2 uh, people, to get here? It took them, they all had to go to sleep for like 30 years, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. Well, they, they it's been like 80 years or something they've been in this ship, apparently. That's what I mean. But like, they're going to come back, report to who? Like... The, the people, council. the council's children. I mean, I, that's that's how the show works. Is it's it's a multi generational conspiracy. You have to pass the conspiracy on to your kids right. and your okay. kids' kids, All so right. you can keep the conspiracy <laughs> going. Okay. Um. Anyway, now that they're awake and they're surprised to be stuck in this planet, they do happen to know why everyone is getting sick. Apparently, everyone in the Eden crew has these stat chips, that, like something installed by the government that monitors them from a distance. And of course, nobody in the Eden crew, or apparently no one on Earth knows. Everyone on Earth has been given these stat chips installed into them. It's given to them when you get your flu shot. Bill Gates is involved. 5G towers are involved. Yeah. It's a real conspiracy. <laughs> And somehow it's untraceable. It's just one of those things you just have to hand wave over. It's like, there's this implant put in them. You don't know about it. Just the way it is. The government does it when you get a flu shot. And they can't be taken out because once the chip's in it, it builds like a copper neuro network into your brain or something to properly monitor you. So it's unremovable. And they're all malfunctioning. And that's why everyone's getting sick and dying. Can I make a note? It's I'm, I'm not going to ruin anything later. But we are going to find out later in the episode that Devin doesn't have one. And we'll talk about that later. But was the implication that she knew all of these people have this implant and thus she is part of the rich people that are doing this? I mean, I think the implication is she is part of the elite ruling class who does not need to be like monitored, monitored and put into debt slavery to rule. I don't think she knew this is what was getting them sick. But I think the the implication is like she's been walking around with these people for, you know, almost a year now. She knows they're all they're all tagged and tracked because they're all just peons, but she's one of the ruling class, so it's fine. Like right. she okay. she doesn't need it. Yeah, fair enough. And I assume Yuli wouldn't that as well. My this is my assumption as well. There's no way right. Yuli has one if uh, Devin doesn't have one. And she's not only doesn't have one, is aware of them and is aware that the government illegally installs them to people and doesn't seem to care that much. That well, that's do. what I mean. And, like it seems like there'd be more of an awkward conversation about that, but anyways, it doesn't really matter. It's not the point of this episode. I know. They never get into that. I was also just like, This is very awkward that you knew the whole time and didn't mention to anyone. Yeah. Oh dear. The two <laughs> doctors are uh, are woken up now, Ben and Anson. They're upset that they haven't gone back to Earth. But there's this weird thing where they kind of go to them like, we're dying, help us. And, I th- and as you said, they, they, they go, we know what it is. But they're like, but we don't really want to help. And you're like, what? Well, that's kind of what happens is turns out Bennett knows a little bit of what's happening. He, he sneaks off to call up to the orbital council ship 
which is, I guess, presumably where the Riley character from the council must have been this whole time. But like he go, he sneaks off to call the ship, and there's a great effect. They pull up this like holographic screen that's constantly mm-hmm. spinning, and people's faces appear on, which is I was like, oh, that's a fun, good sci-fi effect. But he goes, to, he basically goes to call up the mysterious forces above the planet, which is great because like as soon as he does, the entire team walks in. It's like, what are you doing? Like, and I was just like, okay, so. I don't know why they bothered having him like go off in secret because the entire team is going to show yeah. up and like learn the truth now. But what they discover is when Bennett arrived in the scouting mission, they installed an orbiting council AI assistant named Eve, who has been basically been up there monitoring their trip, but is also up there monitoring everybody on the Eden project. And we're also going to discover, I'm just going to tell everyone now, the AI has also been the villainous council guy, Riley, who's been up there the whole time. He's just like a hundred, it's just a hundred year old AI that like the council has installed to, I guess, monitor the planet for them and then like make up fake personalities to So now let me ask you though, this might be taking us off to a a long side road, but does this jive with the mythology we've built on this show? Because we have seen Riley go into this sort of uh, secret dreamscapey sort of conversation. The VR world. Yeah, where Julia has had these clandestine meetings with him, but they sort of implied that they've met before or that they've seen each other in person. Did they not? I think it had been kept nebulous enough as to their relationship that I think they are retconning a little here. I think they're they're deciding like, oh, there was never there was never an actual council human presence on this station. There's just this AI in orbit. I mean, maybe that was the plan all along. Like, it it does feel a little retconny for sure. Because they're like, now we have two personalities. We have Eve, who is just a naked woman for some reason. Yeah. And then Riley, who's like a fake council member who gets to wear clothes. I feel it's more of a retcon than anything. Because as you as you said, we, we learn that he's a computer program. And he's starting to glitch. He also, for some reason, has a mustache, which he didn't have before. No, but, he didn't uh, always have a mustache? I don't think so. I always thought of him as having a mustache. Anyway, he's, uh, I think the mustache is a glitch, but he's sort of like glitching out and he's sort of saying things that don't make sense and he's clearly breaking down, which they really could have hinted at at the beginning that there was something weird about him. What they were really implying before was that he seemed genuine, but to the audience, he clearly had other intentions, not that he was a, uh, something was physically wrong with him. He did feel like he was going to be a real person in orbit. They were going to meet one day, but now it's never going to happen. Although it does, it does lead to one of my favorite moments is when they're when they're all seeing this AI and then like they're finding out there's an orbiting thing and like they don't find out that Riley's part of the AI for a while they still think he's like a person on a spaceship, but it, my favorite my favorite scene was uh, Riley they're like they tell the AI to go get Riley to talk to them and Riley appears on the screen and he looks around and he's like well 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 if it isn't Devin Julia and um uh, all the others I don't know your names. <laughs> And I thought that was very, very funny when he just like, he's like, my two nemesises and uh, who are you again? Dan something? <laughs> I have a couple more uh, real quick things to mention before we get back to the plot. So this plot was set into motion by Bennett jumping into the VR with uh, Morgan. Mm-hmm. and But when he wakes up Bennett, Bennett's like, I didn't send that message. Uh, and he doesn't know anything about it. Is the implication that the computer program wanted morgan to wake them up for reasons yes well i mean we can do that now that's the i think that is the implication is the ai was waiting for someone to go into the vr space so they could appear in the vr space and like send somebody to the ship because there's a simple fix to that what's happening 
the what's happening to their chips in their brains is related to the AI suffering a problem up in space. It has a virus in it. And there's a simple fix to it. In Bennett's locked CPU, they keep calling it a CPU on the on the mm-hmm. computer, but like like in his files on this ship's computer, there is basically uh, a simple program that can fix this. Essentially, they just need to roll back the AI to a state before it got the virus and everything will be fine. They need to go into the time machine and uh, go to an earlier operating system. I- exactly. I mean, that's basic. They don't know that terminology yet, but that's basically what the implication is. So they're like, wake up Bennett, get his codes, roll back the AI. We'll all be fine again. But of course, Bennett, as you said, is not interested in fixing them. He won't give them the codes. He won't save them. He just won't do it because it turns out He's the one who infected the AI with a virus, which is, this is the funniest part of this. He infected the AI with a virus as they left Earth 2 with a 50-year, basically, time span on it. Like, in 50 years, this virus will activate, basically destroying the AI and cutting off the council's link to the planet. They found something on this planet they decided is too powerful or they don't believe the council should ever come to Earth 2. So they've basically installed a 50-year, like, pause on this AI until they get home. Because mm-hmm. they, I, I don't know why they had to wait till they got home before the. I AI, think it's the, so he yeah. could go like nan 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 nan. Look what I did. I guess so. I guess so. But basically, what's happened is it just so happens that fifty year time period has just expired. Yeah. So now everybody's getting sick. The AI is in trouble. That's why the AI hasn't had trouble before. Now it happened this week. Mm-hmm. And he basically he did it for a good reason, and he's not going to undo it. And literally that night. Because Bennett has now also gotten sick, but not from his chip, but from cold sleep syndrome. And he dies that night, takes the codes with him, and that's that. Yeah. <laughs> it, it was a weird sort of thing. It's like, I mean, I guess it sets up a good, like, what do they do now? But it was weird that the amount of steps we had to get to that point just to kill him was odd. Yeah, they really had to explain the whole plot and how he was important to it. And then just, like, kill him so you're, like, now stuck against a wall. Yeah. Of course, his cohort, maybe his girlfriend, the other person who is on this ship, Anson, she agrees with Bennett and thinks they should never have come to this planet, but she's also dying of cold sleep syndrome. And she has a change of heart, I guess, as she's dying to save the Eden Project. And while she doesn't have the coast to do it, she has an idea to do it, is she thinks they can hook Yale's cyborg arm up to the computer, which they do, and he'll enter the computer and try to navigate through the CPU encryption to, like, find the, like, rollback function. It made me think, though. Remember in the episode where they had um, the geolock going? What did Morgan use to so he could hack faster? Oh, he put his VR gear on and just, like, went into VR to try to hack. But to, wasn't there something, like, the planet helped him or something? Oh, they used those glowing stones. They used yeah, why did gl- they use the glowing stones? I mean, that's a good question. But, I mean, more uh, that's the thing is Yale's able to hack it not difficultly like it's really weird like he they plug him into the computer and this is where he says i can see cyberspace (laughs) yeah it was a funny line and what blew my mind they never go into it but he's like he's like i'm in cyberspace i'm moving through the computer and then there's on the soundtrack you can just hear screaming (laughs) i know i wasn't sure i was like what is happening well and yale's just like i can see them all and i think the implication is the cyberspace is full of the screams of the dead crew and their memories. I wasn't sure if it was supposed to be some sort of purgatory he had entered or something, because it was the weirdest thing ever. I have no idea. It made no sense to me. And I was just like, what kind of nightmare is he seeing that we're not seeing? And why is it in this computer CPU? 
didn't you hope that you would see more of what was happening? It would be like, remember Disclosure, where Michael Douglas went into the internet, and it was just like his face on like a digital little body walking around? Yeah, using those filing cabinets. That'd be great. <laughs> well, truly, that's probably what it should have more yeah. closely been. <laughs> like some locked filing cabinets. Um, anyway, it doesn't really matter. He manages to hack his way through the CPU, and uh, doing so causes everyone's stat chips to start hurting. So everyone starts falling on the ground being like, my head hurts, help us. Um, but... He gets in, he finds the rollback, he sends it up to the AI so this AI gets better. The computer he's using explodes for some reason because it's so difficult to hack this thing, throwing Mm -hmm. him across the room. But essentially, the AI becomes virus-free, the entire Eden crew instantly gets better, and Anson, on her deathbed from cold sleep syndrome, explains why they wanted to stop the council from ever coming to Earth 2. Apparently, they're like, we can never colonize this planet because... If we try, the planet will reject us and kill the colonists we send. And she died. Like, this is her big revelation. It's just like, we're like an invasive organ. And if we try to install ourselves, the planet will reject us, we'll die. And this is when they reinforce this idea. This is when it becomes clear that Devin has been sick this whole time, but not because she has a stat ship. She collapses and they realize Devin's being rejected by the planet all of her organs are malfunctioning. It has nothing to do with the stat ship problem. She had a separate unrelated illness that has been killing her this whole week. That is just because... coincidental. It happened at the exact time. Yeah. And it's because the planet is rejecting her, apparently. Mm-hmm. And so the crew chooses to freeze her in one of those cryo crypts. With the, I guess the idea is they're going to freeze her because she's dying so catastrophically. And they'll come back to her later when they can set up something to save her i guess maybe at new pacifica or whatever basically we're ending the season with the idea of being devon needs to be frozen because she's she's dying she's not gonna make it and like there's a big vo from her being like will i ever see yuli grow up will his Terrian dna ever help us like solve the mysteries here i may die before i ever know I was like, no, you remember when you went forward in time and you saw the future? You're fine. Don't worry about it. I thought the exact same thing. I was like, I think you guys already kind of explained that everything is going to be fine. It was. I was just like, I'm like, you guys really should have in the writer's room when you came up with these two different plots been like, one of these is really going to undercut the other. Um, I have a separate note. Remember we went or we read uh, uh, several episodes. Uh, we read an erotic story and there was a line in it about how Devin had been brought back from the dead. And uh, we were like, oh, that seems like a plot hole. I think that was someone after the show going, uh, they'll fix that and she'll come back from the dead. Then they'll start. They'll, they'll yeah. get it on. I do remember that you said it was possibly a spoiler alert that she got better from whatever was wrong with her. And I was like, oh, well, here it is. Yeah. <laughs> but that's how kind of this series wraps up. Also, what we've seen in all these people that go into this cryogenic sleep or what do they call it, Luke? Uh, the cryoclip crypts. Yeah, the cryocrypts. They're all wearing their normal clothes because I guess you you're just not like sleeping. You're not gonna like crumple your clothes. When they get unfrozen, they walk around and stuff. But she chooses to go into her bathrobe. She wants to be comfortable. I guess so. I was like, that's weird. But I think it is how they when they uh when they first came off the ship in the first episode, I think they were all wearing their pajamas. That is true. They went in for a long nap. She just knows how to, she knows how to be, she's like, it's like she's going to the airport. She's like one of these people who's just like, I'm going in my pajamas. <laughs> but that's how it ends. With yep. her frozen in a bathrobe. Her frozen in a bathrobe. How will they save Devin? Will they make it to New Pacifica? Is the planet going to reject them like an organ it doesn't want? Who's to say? Oh, yeah. We'll never know because the show never continued. And that was it. That's all she wrote. 
Well, Jordan, now that we're at the end, we've watched all of Earth 2. Uh, do you want to get back to my tease about what Earth 2 Season 2 might have been? Yeah, let's hear it. So as I mentioned, someone got their hands on, I'm sure, like a VHS or something from back in 95 when they were like toying with the idea of the second season of this show, which is a surprise. You would have thought, I would have thought anyway, that basically the show didn't have the ratings, got canceled, that was the end of it. But clearly that's not the case. Someone wanted it to continue. Because what that was sort of said when I was digging around on these websites is um, there was like a letter from the creator of the show. Because apparently when the show was canceled, there had been a big campaign to save it. Like letters were written in. Someone took out a variety ad saying save Earth 2, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. To the point that the creator decided he needed to write back to the fans to kind of explain things to them. So he, like any good Hollywood head, had his assistant write a letter. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So his assistant, instead of him, wrote a letter to all the fans to thank them for trying to save the show and explained to them that basically, I think it's NBC Universal. That might not have been exactly who they were at the time, but like they found the show too expensive to continue as it was. They were just like, this is too expensive as a a show to keep going the way it's going. They already paid for two Grendler costumes. They're not paying for three. (laughs) So what they did is the the network fired the entire writing and producing staff and brought in a brand new producing team Hmm. for season two. That producing team created a promo video basically explaining to affiliates the new direction season two is going to go to like bring them back on board and move Hmm. forward with the show. So this promo tape on YouTube which thank God somebody still hadn't put on YouTube. We'll I'll, I'll we'll find the link and we'll put it on our social media stuff mm. after this is over. And Jordan, you should really watch it. It's bombastic. It's over the top. Like just like driving Jurassic Park music. They're really trying to get you hyped for season two. It's the best. In fact, they're just like I believe when it starts, it's just like huge titles appear and it's just like rethought, retooled, remarkable. <laughs> nice. I'm in already. Um, but believe me, man. They are heavily retooling for season two. So basically season two is going to begin at New Pacifica and New Pacifica is going to be taken. All the colonists are going to have arrived. And now New Pacifica is this pioneer city full of rugged individualists. Hmm. It's going to be a real wild westy pioneer town. And uh, the colonists who have arrived, they're, they've, they've come with new technologies. They've come with new weapons and they've come with new ideas. So it's going to be like, Lots of crazy stuff happening every episode. They're really going to find some new ideas. Like, they're, they're promising this year we'll have ruthless warlords that show up to attack New Pacifica. Aliens from other planets are going to drop by and visit the colony. Mm. They go into kind of what... They, they start, like, breaking down each character and how their characters are going to, like, either change or, in some cases, be relatively the same. Uh, there's a... Like, they say Devin's going to become, like, this passionate visionary who's trying to make the colony work. So not dissimilar to what she is now. Danzinger's going to be a real MacGyver with an aggressive attitude. Yeah, it's not too different. Not too different. I do like they say he's going to be MacGyver, though. That's very funny. Because you can't have a woman be the leader, they're going to to introduce a brand new leader who arrives in the colony, a man named Isaiah Ford. He's going to be a captain with a troubled past who the entire colony begs to become the new leader and take over from, from Devon. And he's going to be the reluctant father figure the colony needs. Aren't you getting tired of people with troubled past? Don't you want a character to show up and they'd be like, what was your past like? He's like, perfectly fine. Oh, I had a nice, nice upbringing. Parents nice together. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> um, so they're bringing a new leader to take over for the colony. That's going to come in season two. Uh, Alonzo is going to regain his zeal for life and love. 
Okay. But also, remember when he broke his leg and it got better? Yeah. Turns out the planet fixed his leg and now he has superhuman strength. Oh, wow. He got $6 million man, huh? Yeah, he's going to be $6 million man in the second season. Uh, Yuli and True are just going to become Huck Finn and Tom Sawyer and go on wacky adventures. Right. I'm not interested in that, but yes. Great. Uh, Dr. Heller, this time she's going to get all this tech that arrives and get to set up a cool new hospital. I assume she'll be like Iron Man now. She'll just be always wearing like cool robotic suit. Yeah, yeah. She's just wandering around this hospital. Uh, Yale is going to die tragically and be replaced by a teenage cyborg. <laughs> now that, that's a great idea because kids don't want to watch an old guy. It's like when we, uh, you were trying to uh, cast Morgan Freeman in our, uh, in our thing and we were like, no, it's not what the kids want. I was dead wrong. So a teenage cyborg who used to be a, I guess he's a juvenile delinquent, used to be a prisoner, comes to the planet. He becomes their, like, he becomes their Wikipedia. And that new leader, Isaiah, mm-hmm. he's going to become Isaiah's surrogate son. Oh, okay, so sure. they're really building those two characters together for some reason. Also on screen when this is happening, when they're describing this new cyborg teen, uh, the text on screen says, half boy, half machine. <laughs> But it shouldn't be like the RoboCop, because remember RoboCop's thing was half man, half machine, all cop. It should have been like all something. All delinquent. All del- <laughs> exactly, yeah. Next up, and this is a direct quote, Jordan, from the from the video. In a final act of cowardice, Morgan will abandon the group only to meet his fate in a botched escape. <laughs> so they're going to kill Morgan, too. Right away. Morgan's dead. They've killed Morgan. Right. But this is because, for best, quote... Free from Morgan's domination, end quote, she will enjoy and explore the passions of other earthly pleasures. Oh, so they wanted Bess to be getting on with other people. Yeah, Bess is just going to start fucking around. (laughs) They're like, guys, she's too attractive to be with this cartoon character. Yeah, very funny. They're like, Morgan's dead. Bess is on the market. Everything's fixed. (laughs) Although you, you don't want her to get into that rail by herself, though, right? Because she'll probably accidentally kill someone. What did she do with the rail? She did it in real life, is what I'm saying. She killed someone oh. with a car. <laughs> oh, right, 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 right. Very sad. Very sad, yeah. everyone. Yeah, just to, like, bring, bring that up down. again. And then finally, Jordan, a uh, Grendler will join the cast of regulars, or as they call him, a drooling cave dweller. <laughs> oh, he's going to be, like, their Slimer? Yeah, they, I guess they find him, and he just, like, joins the team. All right. You know what? This does sound like a better season. Anyway, the basic takeaway from this is that this is kind of the the conclusion of this video says it's going to basically become a show of self-contained action adventures, quote, gone are continuous story arcs and esoteric concepts. Well, you know, it, it's funny. I kind of agree with it and not maybe to this, the, the way it sounds like I get that it sounds like it's dumbing this show down. And it's not that I'm against serialization, but it's an argument I make as we you know wrap this up is that. I think this show never quite was what they wanted it to be. This show, for all intents and purposes, played out like a kid's TV show that thought it was a lot smarter than it was. Or if it was intelligent, those ideas got so watered down and neutered and muddled that they never came across well, I don't think ever, in any episode. So it's like, why not make it an action-adventure show? That's what you guys probably can do better than the show you're trying to do. Get these esoteric concepts and toss them in the trash heap. If you can't do them, you know, fair enough. Get let's get to that senior cyborg in here. Yeah, let's get him in. Let's have him skateboard on some sort of like rocket launcher thing and done. Yale falls off a cliff and this teenage cyborg appears. <laughs> get out of here, old man. 
there's a new sa- there's a new sound in town he does a kickflip on his skateboard <laughs> Yeah. Oh dear. But yeah, it, it's crazy. I don't think we've ever encountered anything that like was canceled after a first season. But like, it's crazy to me that everyone involved, even though they couldn't agree what the show was, really did want to see it continue. Like, yeah. a big break between creators and the network. But like, the network's like, we can fix this, and here's how. Apparently, it didn't work. Apparently, the affiliates didn't sign off on uh, this. It'd be like Tech War. They're like Tech War second season now with. No writing from William Shatner or his family. That's not tech war, then. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, that that's it. That's all I've got, Jordan. That's all I have to say left about Earth 2, I think. Well, let's do our final thoughts on it. You want to get some ratings in here? Mm-hmm. What were your thoughts on that last episode, uh, f- uh, Flower Child? I'm sort of two minds of it. I like that it was a standalone episode. I liked it wasn't about the kids. There wasn't the stupid layering of mythology that the show always does. There's no real Tarians or Grendlers. It just doesn't feel like they're going down, you know, the same hole over and over. I like the idea of finding weird things on a planet and then having to deal with it. There was still some, like, weird crutch ideas and stuff, but I thought this was a better episode than some of them they've done. So I'm going to go higher than probably it deserves. I'm going to give this a 7 out of 10. I agree completely. I'm giving it a 7 as well. I I think overall, like... It still has all all the like minor problems with the show, but like the characters, because I guess maybe because Morgan was like clicking in this episode and Bess, like yeah, the characters worked a bit better. I loved them going like infected by pollen. You have to go to wherever the pollen's taking you. That's a fine sci-fi idea. And listen, it's super dumb that that's how spring works on the planet, but yeah. it's also hilarious. It's also the funniest thing I've seen. Uh, it's worth it just for that. <laughs> And this maybe plays to my comments on uh, the possible second season that never was. The whole idea of the mythology of the kid and he might be a Tarian god and the planet healing and stuff, I think it's so boring. At least the way they executed it. And, like, I don't care. So anytime there's an episode about Yuli or True running off or any of these things, I, I just hate those episodes. So when they're not about that, I'm all on board. I would have loved all the at the beginning of season two when they're like, they just start on the colonies going. They're like, remember when the planet was going to uh, eject us? They're like, yeah, remember how we fixed that with, I don't know, this this needle we got or something? I don't know. And they're like, oh, and all the kids died because it, it never, nothing took. So now it's just cool characters. Anyway. <laughs> it would have been great to hear all of the ways they had to like, the, the poor writer of that first episode like, had to write himself out of all of these corners so he could be a standalone yeah. series. <laughs> all right. All about Eve, Jordan. Weirdly, I'm also going to give this a 7 out of 10. I don't know if I liked it as much as the last one, but... I did like that. I think the retconning cleaned up some things, maybe not, you know, in the best way ever, but it kind of felt like they were closing the door on some of the things that needed to be closed. And I like that they theoretically killed Devin, who I hate. So seven out of 10. <laughs> uh, you know what? I'm going seven out of 10 as well. I think I know for you, uh, you're hoping that the standalones would work. Honestly, getting back on the road and kind of moving the show forward again helped. Like, it gave some momentum. To I agree. Show. It did. It's crazy how, like, it improved the show, even just by not feeling trapped in that stupid place. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, fun science fiction. You got to roll back your AI as an operating system. That's fun. VR was fun. There's, you know, it had its moments. Yeah. So, well, we're, we're pretty great. And I have to say, the last few episodes of the show were much better than that middle chunk. It's kind of an unfortunate thing. I think we've seen it with some other shows, you know, where, you know, we're like, oh, would you recommend this? And it's like certain episodes, the first chunk of this show and the end of the show are pretty decent. It's unfortunate. I think the middle two thirds is pretty bad. 
Yeah, I guess it, it, it just shows. I, I think it must be what happened. It's like they, clearly they were a little lost after they got past the beginning and they were just driving around. It got a little lost and they didn't know what to do with it. So they froze them in one place, hoping that would fix it. Turned out they didn't know what to do there either. And it was just like, let's, they just, I think they had they have a good idea at the beginning and a good idea where it's going, but just no idea how to connect the two. The same issues persisted throughout the shows, all the episodes. None of the characters were really relatable, or I don't think any of the viewers were that interested or cared about them. There wasn't a satisfying arc for any of them. Any lessons they learned were sort of unearned or really amounted to no actual growth. So everyone kind of stayed the same and flawless. There was this mythology that layered over itself over and over, didn't adding anything or creating any sort of interesting results. The in-world logic is confused and inconsistent at best. And all of the solutions sort of had, so they were, I guess it's, they had easy solutions to difficult problems. So everything ends up kind of muddled and perfunctory rather than insightful. And I think that's the, the issue that I had that I mentioned before. Like, ultimately, I think this is a kid's show because the level of thought and complexity of it is very very thin and despite these esoteric ideas or these large ideas they're at best uh yeah. uh speckled through i mean it's i think that's the perfect point is i think every not every episode but most of the plots or the ideas started off as like a complex morally gray idea but the conclusion always had to be a kid show happy ending so it was just kind of like those two concepts didn't jive together at all so it was just like you'd start in one place but have to end in like the most bland place. It just, so it just never worked. Well, it's like there, there was some interesting ideas there. It's like, is this going to be about ideas about colonialism or like scarcity of resources or like issues with class and money or the sort of ignorance that they have of trampling on indigenous populations? All these are sort of nuanced plots and thoughts they could have had, but they were just like, let's touch on it and then go like, even that we were talking about, like there was a possible abortion issue. And I'm not saying that that had to be, uh, this sort of politicized episode every time, but there's something there that you can add to the conversation, but they just went like, nah, let's just touch on it. And then instead, uh, I don't know, uh, flower power, you know, it's like, okay. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean that I think you, you hit it on the nail on the head. It's, it's, it's a kid's show that for some reason this thought it could like also pull off so much more, but you could, you, they couldn't tie those things together. It never worked. Yeah, because the show was at its best when it was as silliest. Like you're saying, like, the plant that brings spring. That couldn't be stupider. And it's hilarious. But it's like, you know what? If you guys are going to go for it, lean into it. Lean into the electricity yeah. spiders at time travel. Like, make this the weirdest planet ever. And at least have it be fun. Because the worst thing this show did was sometimes was just boring. And that's a bummer for a TV show. Well, Jordan, do you want to know the final rating for Earth 2? Uh, oh, yeah, where please. we ended up? I think we raised it up at, here at the end. I've punched it in. I mean, I wouldn't get that excited. Uh, the final rating for Earth 2 is 5.8. Uh, yeah, so it's almost a 6 out of 10. That's uh, that's probably right. Yeah, I, th- I think that's probably right. I mean, you mentioned, like, do you recommend this? Like, maybe a couple episodes here and there. I think if there's something you had in the background where you cleaned your house because you were just halfway curious, whatever, that'd be fine. But, like, I, I think this show demands your minimal attention. Yeah, I think if you sat down to watch it, you would be very disappointed and give up very quickly. <laughs> <laughs> you know joking aside you and i have now talked about this show for what 12 hours something like that like more than the, more than the people who wrote have thought about it that was my point i think we have spent more time thinking about the 
<laughs> the all of the intricacies of the show way more than anyone actually involved in the show and you, and you can tell yeah it could, because none of it connects when you really think about it yeah <laughs> all right well that wraps it up for earth 2 jordan listener if you have any thoughts on any of this i don't know why you would but maybe you do uh you can email us continuum drag at gmail.com and of course on instagram and twitter we're gonna have some clips from these last two episodes so you can revel in the glory of earth 2 as it goes away yeah but that wraps it up so listener thank you for joining us jordan i'll see you next week on something new yeah (laughs) continuum drag is recorded in toronto ontario Theme music by James Rex Seedler, produced by Jordan Dulloch and Luke Black. Special thanks to Aaron Hughes.